Welcome back to the Love Your 9 to 5 show, episode number 8. Caution, you will begin to love your 9 to 5 with this show. Join us as we explore and discover your unique strengths and learn to apply them to your daily business activities with your host, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to this episode of the Love Your 9 to 5 show. I'm super excited to bring a guest today who will really be sharing valuable and actionable content with us today. My guest today is a sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences, sharing the platform with everyone from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities to even a former U.S. president. He is the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, and influence with total book sales of well over a million copies. His book, The Go-Giver, authored, co-authored with John David Mann, has sold over half a million copies, and it has been translated into 21 languages. It has been released in a new expanded edition with a Ford by Huffington Post founder and publisher Ariana Huffington. He is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He is also an unapologetic animal fanatic and is a past member of the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption Clinic and Ranch in his town of Jupiter, Florida. It is my utmost pleasure to introduce to everybody today's guest, Bob Berg. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Shmuel. Great to be with you. Yes, it is really exciting to have you. As the avid and loyal listeners to the show know, that there have been at least three of the previous guests who have been asked, which one book would you recommend? And the, uh, only one book, and like, okay, if it's one book, it's The Go Giver. Uh huh. So, well, as certainly a, nice to hear. Thank you. Sure. So as a result, I've read your book uh, numerous times and have really identified with it. And I'm really excited that you've given us a little bit of your time to share with us some insights from that book. So thank you again for being with us. My absolute pleasure. So before we get started, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came upon and developed some of the laws shared in the book, The Go-Giver? Well, I was very, very blessed to be born to great, wonderful parents who set the example of really what it meant to be uh, people, good people. And and I, I say that hopefully without, you know, without bragging, I guess we shouldn't brag about our parents, but I, I feel free uh, to. <laughs> and uh, and so, I, you know, I had the example of two people who really added value to the lives of everyone they touched. And. Uh, I, we wouldn't have used the name go giver, but that's really what they were. And, and, uh, fortunately still, still are, I still have them. And, uh, so I grew up with that, that excellent example. Uh, as I got into the business world, I began as a broadcaster first in radio and then in television as a newscaster okay. was not, was not particularly good at that. It was a small ABC affiliate in the Midwest uh, United States. Uh, I could read the news, but I was young. I was 24. I really wasn't interested in the news. I was a sports guy who happened to have landed a job in news and it really wasn't very long before I was out of news and into sales. I like to say I graduated into sales. Nice. Um, yeah, for the first few months, I really floundered because I, I didn't know how to sell. I had no training and the training at the company I was with was, was negligible at best. And so I, you know, wasn't doing very well. Fortunately, 
I came upon a couple of books uh, in a local bookstore. This is now almost 40 years ago. Whoa. And uh, uh, books by Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins. And I, I read them and I studied them and I practiced. And really, within a very short time, my sales began to go through the roof. And I, the only real difference was that now I had a a system. And I personally define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. Uh, wow. The key being predictability, right? If if it's been if it's been um, proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know all you need to do is B and do A and do A consistently, and you'll eventually get the desired result of of B. And so, from there, I I began to uh, to teach selling. I was sales manager of a company and eventually began to speak and then write. Okay. So really at that point, I mean, you, in, your, in your humility, you kind of, you're downplaying it for us. But at, there was a, a shift where you said you graduated from the news and you <laughs> graduated right. into sales, but mm -hmm. you were floundering in the beginning. Yeah. And then some, there was some sort of a shift when you read those books. To, something happened there that you know, you make it sound like it was so simple to, you know, graduate from there to being a super salesman to start speaking and having a system. So what was what was it there in those books that that you kind of discovered and how did you implement that to make the and to have the success that, that you really had? Well, I never knew there was really anything to sales other than you go in, you knock on doors or you call or you do, you know, you do whatever you, you need to in order to see someone. You talk about your product or service and you ask them if they want to buy. I mean, I, I didn't know any different. Oh, so that's uh, not that's, how it is? Uh, no, I guess not. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, selling, and you know, so many people really, uh, because they, they don't or haven't had the, the opportunity to be involved in this field or, or what have you, they they maybe think of selling as trying to convince someone to buy something they don't want or need. They think that's what selling is, when not only is that not selling, that's called being a con artist, right? Trying to get someone to buy something they don't want or need. That's not selling at all. Selling defined is really nothing more than discovering what the other person does want, does need, does desire, and helping them to get it. And the only way we can know that is to ask questions and listen. Well, and when we do that, now we can we can help this person help us to know how to serve them. Well, so this is what's mentioned in the book. I know this is the, you know the value principle, which is the value is how much more you give in value than you take in payment. Which sounds so counterintuitive, and I was mad at you when I heard that in the book. Because, you know, that that goes against what we're used to thinking. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, and it's counterintuitive and it can sound counterproductive when you first hear it. Give more in value than you take in payment. I mean, isn't that a recipe for bankruptcy? Right. And and so we simply have to understand the difference between price and value. Uh, price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's It's finite. It is mm -hmm. what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something, to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this, this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, that brings so much worth to it in someone's mind that they will willingly and excitedly exchange their money for this and be ecstatic that they did while you make a very healthy profit? Can I give you a, a very quick Example, please do. Uh, let's say you hire an accountant to do your taxes. Okay. 
and this accountant charges you, we're just going to name a round figure, $1,000. That's his, his, his fee, or literally his price, $1,000. Okay. But what value does he give you in exchange that makes this so fantastic for you? Well, through his years of, of study um, and practice and getting to know you and asking questions to understand your business and what you're looking to accomplish and putting that all together, he's able to save you $5,000 on your taxes. Uh, he also saves you countless hours of time and he provides you and your family with the peace of mind and security of knowing it was done correctly. So we see here, first off, that again, while price is finite, value can be both concrete in terms of the $5,000 savings, but it can also be conceptual in terms of the peace of mind, which probably holds more worth or value to you than even the money saved. So what he did is he gave you well over $5,000 in value or use value in exchange for a $1,000 uh, price or cash value. So he gave you more in value than he took in payment. So you feel great about it. Right. But he also made a very, very healthy profit. That is the difference between value and price. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so the difference between value and price is the degree to which this person's going to be very, very happy with having done business with you. Got it. And of course, we uh, we provide value over and above the intrinsic value of the product or service. Uh, in other words, how do you make people feel when they do business with you? What's the the customer experience? How are they greeted when they come into your office or when they when they call? Do they get cons do they get treated wonderfully consistently? Do they feel people are paying attention to them and their needs? Uh, are the people at your company empathetic to the needs of others? Uh, do they show gratitude? For, you know, for their business and gratitude to everyone around them. There are many ways we can provide value over and above the intrinsic value of the product or service. Because let's face it, technology is leveled off the playing field. At right. this point, most things can be commoditized. And if a prospective customer doesn't see any uh, significant difference between any two products or services, it will always come down to who has the lowest price. And I often say, unless your last name is Walmart, trying to make low price your unique selling proposition <laughs> Good is, luck. is very right counterproductive. When you sell on low price, you're a commodity. When you sell on high value, you're a resource. Right, and that is really well explained. Thank you. Um, but when when you can explain how you are such a resource, you can you can really explain truthfully how mm -hmm. the customer is actually going to end up with more dollars or more value in his pocket or his or her pocket with paying more money because down the line you saved, you know, you saved $5,000. So yes, my price might be $1,000 to do your taxes. And the guy, you know, wearing a costume in the street, he's telling you to come into the door is going to charge you 50 bucks. But you, you, but you might have to pay $5,000 to use that guy's service, whereas using my service for $1,000 you actually saved yourself $4,000. So, sure. so that's a sweet deal. And that actually will lead us right into the next um, one of the laws, which is the law of compensation. And I would like if you can share you know, all of them with, with the listeners and we can see how that ties into you know, their needs of defining their passions when we get further down. But how does that tie into compensation? Sure. The law of compensation says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So where law number one 
says to give more in value than you take in payment. Law number two tells us that the more people whose lives we touch with the exceptional value we provide, the more money with which we'll be rewarded. If you take your accountant in the first example, um, he did a wonderful job when it came to providing more, you know, giving more in value than he took in payment. Um, but it's not a matter of just having one client. If you were his only client, he wouldn't be making a very good living. But his other clients, uh, he has many clients, and these clients feel the same way you feel about him. They feel great about him. They would do business with him again, exactly, and they'd probably refer him to others. So our accountant is very quickly amassing what we call an army of personal walking ambassadors who are singing his praises. And as he continues to add that kind of exceptional value to the lives of more and more people, his income will continue to grow and grow. In other words, law number one is Nicole Martin, the CEO in the story, as she explained to Joe, the protege, law number one equals your potential income. Law number two equals your actual income because it has to do with how many lives you impact. Got it. And uh, that can really lead us into the third law of of influence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the law of influence says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Now, again, this one sounds counterintuitive at best, uh, perhaps downright Pollyanna-ish at worst. And yet, you think about it, the greatest leaders, the top influencers, the most successful, profitable salespeople, this is simply how they run their lives and conduct their businesses. They're always looking for ways to place the other person's interest first, to bring value to them. Now, let me qualify this, if I may. When we say place the other person's interest first, we certainly do not mean you should be anyone's doormat or a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way. Absolutely not at all. It's just as as several of the mentors in the story told Joe, the golden rule of business says all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you in others than by genuinely and authentically moving from what we call an I focus or me focus to an other focus, looking for ways to, as as Sam, one of the mentors advised Joe, make your win all about the other person's win. And when you develop the reputation for doing that, wow, uh, you know, you just attract great people to you and you become very sought out in your field. Right. I mean, that has brought us so beautifully in the story where I think uh, Deborah Davenport, is that her name? But she, she explains how she became so successful with her real estate sales, or maybe I'm mixing together the two stories. Am I? Oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> that, that was Sam who told that one. And then, and then Deborah's the next one, authenticity. However, the reason why though, is that they, they all tie in together. So any one of the mentors in the story could have talked about any of the other that because they all, all five of them work together in, in conjunction. And, uh, but once, you know, once she dropped all the sales pitches that, you know, that she learned and it was mm-hmm. just said, you know what, I'm not even trying to sell, to sell at all. And I'm not even, I don't even know the asking price and we're just going to connect as <laughs> real human beings. And then all of a sudden that's when things started to happen. Yeah. Right? And, and that's where the law of authenticity comes in. And, and this says you're the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. Um, and you know what this really simply says, and, and what she learned, a very important lesson that she shared, is that 
as important that you know all the skills in the world the sales skills technical skills people skills as important as they are and and they are they are all important mm -hmm. uh they're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core you can't now, fake it right now when you when you do when you do show up as we like to say as yourself day after day week after week month after month people feel good about you they feel comfortable with you they well, they know you like you and trust you. They feel safe with you, and they're much more likely to want to be in a relationship with you, do business with you if if they need what you have, uh, and certainly refer you to to those uh, who they know. Got it. So let's, um, if you don't mind, let's talk about receptivity for a moment, and then I want to sure. come back to authenticity. So, what is the last law of receptivity? Yeah. Well, this one says that the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. And this really means nothing more than that we but we, we we have to both breathe out and breathe in. It's not one or the other, right? We breathe out carbon dioxide, we breathe in oxygen. We breathe out, which is giving, we breathe in, which is receiving. Contrary to popular culture now, you know, where where it's uh you know, where they, where abundance is seen as some sort of bad negative type of thing, I guess it sells better. Uh, right. <laughs> giving and receiving are not opposite concepts. They're simply two sides of the very same coin and they work in tandem. So that means, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. So, so that, that would mean that if someone is really a true giver and is really giving and they've, they've, uh, you know, really personified and excelled in the other four four laws so they should be very open to receiving they should be receiving at a very high level well that's the key but you've got to be open to it and so you make a great point because all the giving in the world the giving of value to others all the giving in the world is is great but it's all for naught if you're not willing to allow yourself to receive. Mm -hmm. And that's why we like to say it's not a matter of are you a giver or a receiver. That's a false dilemma, right? The unnecessary use of the word or. You're not a giver or a receiver. You're a giver and a receiver. But right. what you realize is that the key is where your focus is. Your focus is on the giving. And when you give and you give constantly and consistently in a way that others see that as being of value, because remember, value is always in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, the receiving process will begin, but you've got to be able to accept it. This is why we say, uh, you know, again, right? The money is an echo of value. It's 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 something that we you, you've got to let um, the natural way of things happen. And just like you 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 don't uh, you sow before you reap, right? You you don't go and you don't go into a bank and say, hey, you give me some interest payments, then I'll make a deposit. Life doesn't work that way. We've got to plant the seeds. We've got to give and we've got to provide value, not with an attachment to receiving, but with an allowing of receiving. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, these five laws, uh, you know, these five principles of success, you know, can apply really to everybody on different levels. But to bring it more uh, specific to the listeners of this show who are struggling to find exactly where they are passionate and where their strong points are and how to apply who they are uniquely as individuals, which I believe firmly that every single person is blessed with a different set of God-given skills, talents, 
and also weaknesses and yeah. you know yeah. and people are looking for that and finding for ways to apply them so you know th- that's why i said i want to get back to authenticity i think a big part of that is you know we're so accustomed to hiding who we really are lest somebody find out that we're not perfect or that they or we might find out that we have certain strengths that we weren't aware of and sometimes that's that's a big responsibility mm-hmm. to shoulder so how do you think that the love authenticity specifically may tie in and may help somebody further hone in on who they are as a unique individual and how they may be able to apply that in a positive way? Well, one reason people will come off as inauthentic at times is is really because they don't have the self-confidence to really uh, – uh, to show up on <laughs> yeah, yeah, Well, exactly. Because let's face it, if we don't feel we, if we have value to offer, you know, it's difficult to show up authentically when we don't inside believe that we have anything authentically to show up for. Okay. So, so it's very, very important to understand our strengths and yes, our weaknesses as well. Uh, it's good to know both. That's one reason why having a coach can be so important and it, it can be a coach who, uh, who you hire and retain, or it, that coach can be someone who you just happen to know and trust and who is, is willing to work with you. It, it really it could be someone who could be your, your manager at work. It could be, you know, anyone, although it, it, it needs to be someone who cares about you, but is not emotionally attached to you. Because a lot of times, just like we can't see our own strengths and weaknesses because as human beings, we're too emotionally close to ourselves. It can be the same with, with someone else who, who we know. But it's important to be with someone who can help you identify your strengths. Um, and then we, we, we work with those. Now, we also, again, we need to understand our weaknesses as well. And I believe there are, there are three types of weaknesses. Uh, one of them is a weakness that you can ignore, okay? Uh, for example, I am not good running long distances, okay? Okay. But at 59 years old and having no desire to run a marathon, that's not a weakness I'm going to work on. Okay. Okay. Some that's weaknesses clear. we can ignore. Some weaknesses we need to mitigate. Now, I'm a junk food junkie. I could live on pizza and uh, uh, donuts and everything that's unhealthy, ice cream, anything that's unhealthy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, if I do that, uh, it's not going to be healthy and, and I'm not going to feel good and and other than in the, the moment. So that's something I have to mitigate. I don't, uh, I have a trainer who I hire. Uh, she also cooks my meals for me so that, uh, you know, I know what I can eat and what I can't eat and so forth. Uh, I don't, I don't go crazy with the health thing, but I work out six days a week, uh, and I eat moderately and, and I mitigate it. Okay. That's a, some, some weaknesses are like that. Then there are the weaknesses we need to turn into strengths because these are weaknesses that hurt our growth. It hurts how we feel about ourselves. It hurts our productivity, our relationships and everything else. You know, there are two sources for improving our, our uh, strengths that are uh, improving our weaknesses and turning them into strengths. One was developed by Benjamin Franklin, one of our country's founders. Uh, He wrote a book, the autobiography by Benjamin Franklin, where he took certain character traits that he felt uh, were harmful, and he, he, he turned them into strengths by focusing on them for an entire week. 
and and uh, going through this. So he would one week would be focused on gratitude, another would be on thrift, another would be on using kind words, another would be on. And he'd do this. He had 13 traits, what he called the 13 virtues, and he'd work on these one a week. So he and after 13 weeks, he'd repeat it. He'd repeat it four times for the year because 13 times four are 52. Now, nice. another source for this. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that that's phenomenal. Go ahead. Yeah, another, What's the second one? Uh, another source for this is something called Cheshbon Hanefesh, which, as you know, uh, in in Hebrew, is a spiritual accounting, and this was brought into play back around the same time as Franklin. In fact, there's argument as to who can't kind of came up with it first, or if it played off each other. But this was from something called the Musar or Ethics Movement, where it's the same thing, where you again work on that same thirteen, those thirteen traits. Now, what I did is with mine, because I really had some, and this was about 25 years ago now, I really had some some character weaknesses that I needed to change into strengths. And, uh, and, and this is something that just really helped me so much. Now, so those are the weaknesses, and those are the ones that we need to turn into strengths. But those that are our strengths, this is what we really want to focus on and lead with. Because when while we should be working on our uh, on our weaknesses, the ones that we need to work on that third category, as we deal with people during the day, we need to operate from or lead with our strengths. And we all have these strengths and talents and traits and characteristics that add value to the marketplace, that add value to the world. And that's what we need to lead with. And we need to be able to understand what those strengths, see sometimes, again, because we're so close to ourselves, we may have a certain talent or skill or strength, but because we have it, we assume everyone has it. And right. thus, it's no big deal. But again, that's where a coach or, or someone uh, can come into play and say, no, no, this is something fantastic. This is something that you have that most people don't have, and you can use this to add great value to others. Excellent. You said something, I mean, you said a lot of things that were wonderful, but specifically, um, the third the third group of weaknesses, which are which cannot just be mitigated, and they're a little bit more severe. But right. instead of mitigating them, you mentioned that you turn them into strengths. Turn them into strengths. Yeah, yeah exactly. which, which is amazing. I've, I've done. You know, in, in my research on this topic, I, I don't know the source offhand, um, but I've come across where uh, where it's quoted as saying, "If you're looking for your strengths, you can look for your area of your biggest weakness," and Sometimes that's your strength in disguise. Uh, now, not that uh, can be that can be dangerous. Yeah, oh yeah, well yes it can. But <laughs> hey, but I, but I'll tell you, there's there's some of my you know some of my weaknesses, and I, I yeah, and I'd be careful with that. And at the same time, I can tell you firsthand, some of my weaknesses that I did turn into strengths have been those that have been the best for me. For example, for whatever reason it is, I really did not live in gratitude. I did not have a sense of appreciation. And I used to focus very much on what was wrong with situations rather than what was than what was right. And hey, like anyone, I had my problems and some of them were very serious problems. But nonetheless, in many ways, I was very, very fortunate. But what I focused on was only the bad. And when you think about it, gratitude is really the trait that makes happiness possible. Because you can have everything, right? And uh, you know the sages say, asked, "Who is who is rich?" And they answered, "That person who rejoices in their lot." 
Well, you can have a wonderful lot, but if you don't rejoice in it, and when I say lot, I mean the love of family and friends, uh, a roof over your head, uh, a good job or, or, you know, opportunity, what have you. Um, if you don't have gratitude for it, if you don't rejoice in it, it's the same as not having it. So I really worked first on gratitude. That was a biggie for me. And once I turned that around, it made a huge difference in my life and my level of happiness and success and everything that that came with it. Right. Um, and to add to that, you know, it goes conversely as well, that once you're really satisfied with your lot, it doesn't have to be a lot, pun intended. It could, <laughs> it could even be a little. Right. And, right. Um, and but it, you, just focusing on, there are so many people who are, you know, who don't have a lot and walk around with a certain sense of serenity and, you yeah. know, and contentment because they realize, you know, what they have and they appreciate that. Obviously, it's easier to be grateful when you have more to be grateful for. But, um, you know, but the but paradox you know, is, well, the paradox is when you're grateful before you have a lot, before you have a lot of a lot, right? <laughs> when you're grateful for that, you're more likely to to bring in more. That is true. Okay. It, oh, you'll come like, across. You, you could come right. across as that salesman who's not desperate to make the sale because ah, you're okay. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. That's where that's the a, authenticity comes in. That's mm-hmm. you know, and that's and then you'll be open, you know, for the law of receptivity when that's going to happen, because we all right. know when you know everyone knows that you're going to uh you come onto the floor, you know, to buy a new car. Everyone knows that you know all all the. Not to offend anybody, but we all know different tricks that we think that they have, and it's not the place where you feel they have their best interests, your best interests in mind. It's different when you go into, you lay down, you know, by by the doctor or whatever, where you have a little bit more confidence that they realize your life is at stake, and it's just a different type of uh, relationship. But when you're, when you yourself are content, and uh, you know, and you're happy with who you are, then when you relate to other people, it's completely different. I know yeah. this from my firsthand experience, just from interacting with people professionally. And you could see certain people who are generally happy outside of work. They come in, they're okay. You know, if things didn't work out the way they wanted it to work out, that's fine. You know, there's more to it. You know, this is not the whole picture. But others sometimes can't handle a small, you know, hiccup. So that's that's really valuable. Again, I appreciate your time and sharing these very practical tools and ideas with our listeners. I always end off with a question if there's a particular tool or specifically a book that you would recommend. Now, I know that The Go-Giver is obviously has been the choice, which is how why we got to have this conversation to begin with. And I highly recommend uh, everyone to go out and either buy the book or do what I did, listen to it on Audible. You could speed it up that way if you want to. Uh, um, and and to buy the, the follow-up books as well. You know, The Go-Giver Leader and Go-Givers Sell More. I believe that's the third one that I didn't yet read. Um, and we'll definitely put links to all of that in the show notes. Is there any particular book? I know you mentioned a couple, but if you had to name just one, that's someone who's, they want to get in touch with some of the principles that we discussed today. And they're in a frame of mind where they're working on this self-identification process is there, any, is there any one i know this might be a challenge is there any one particular book that you would say or a resource which would be very helpful for them to really get to know who they are themselves um as a person well you know there are there are really so many just amazing wonderful books all on you know on different topics and different different ways that can help us one of one of the best books i have ever read 
uh, is actually it's a it was published posthumously. He he passed away several years ago, and um, he had never meant to publish this, uh, or had never had just had never published it. But his his wife found it on his hard drive. Um, after he had passed, it's from a, a man named Harry Brown, B-R-O-W-N-E, and the, the she sold the rights to it to a, an independent publisher who named it The Secret of Selling Anything, which uh, – and now the just so you know, the secret that he talks about, The Secret of Selling Anything, is discover what the other person wants and help them get it. Wow. But it's much more than a book on sales. It's really a book on understanding – um, human nature and, and honoring human nature, not trying to change human nature, but working within it Nice. and understanding what drives, you know, others. And what it does is it also, I think, helps us see what drives us. If you can remind me, I believe it's somewhere with, in one of your books during our conversation, someone points out, I know that's a little bit vague, um, that from one of the most genuine human interactions, is sales because if what you're selling is not real and if the price is not real and if you don't really value what I have, I'm going to walk away. A family member might give you a second chance and a coworker or a boss, it might be a little bit different. But if you need something and I'm offering you something and we're going to make that exchange, that there's something very, very authentic about that, mm -hmm. which in order to be successful with it, it would, you know, you need to, um, you need to really, inculcate the some of these principles or all of the principles that we discussed and was mentioned in that book am i am i misquoting um you know it's it's fine i i sort of recognize the um i recognize it and yet i i can't think of where exactly that was that's but, fine but the point is still made and, and that's absolutely true i mean it, it's got to be something that both people feel good about both people benefit uh you know, Harry Brown, who I just referred to, he had he said that uh, the the um, major main characteristic of a um, of a business exchange of a free market exchange is that um, that both parties profit. Both parties, again, awesome. come away better off than they were beforehand. Right. And to do that, you've got to feel good about it. To yeah. do that, both the salesperson and the customer needs to feel good about the exchange. And if it's not a genuine, authentic uh, transaction, if you will, mm -hmm. it, it's not going to feel good. It's going to feel less than real and it's not going to lead to, you know, to furthering that relationship. Thank you. I really, uh, that is an excellent recommendation. Um, if our listeners want to follow, uh, when they want to follow you and see what, you know, what you're up to next, or if they want to reach out to you, uh, what is the best way for them to know everything that has to do with you? <laughs> the uh, not everything best place to go to right they probably don't there's probably even more here than they even want to know but the, <laughs> but i would just say to visit uh, the website at the go giver without the hyphen in this case the go giver.com and when they go there they can uh join the go giver movement if they'd like which is our facebook page where we put a quote up every day with a nice graphic that shares a a, a lesson nice. uh, they can subscribe to the podcast if they'd like to and they can get a uh, free chapter or excerpt of The Go-Giver and see if they like the book, like what they see that thus far, then they can always uh, click through. And they can and they can contact me as well, or they can connect with me uh, online uh, on social media. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. I would highly recommend the listeners to go straight to Amazon and buy the book. It is absolutely life-changing. 
Um, thank you so much, Bob, for your time today. I really appreciate it. You've shared so much value, and this is definitely a great sale. Uh, <laughs> and just, you, you've definitely shared so much with the listeners. And you know, I just really wish you all the best, and hope that you can continue giving um, for many years to come. Well, thank you. That's very, very kind of you. I'm so grateful to be on your show and uh, to get a chance to speak with everyone. Thank you for having me. What an awesome conversation that was with Bob Berg that was so filled with content that is applicable and actionable. Although I generally try to keep the episodes to 30 minutes or so, I really couldn't shrink this one down further. It was just packed with great and valuable lessons. I'd love to hear from you what you thought about this episode and what you'd like to hear more or less of. And don't forget, hit me up on Facebook, join our Facebook group called Love Your 9 to 5. Send me a private message. You can also email me at shmuel at shmuelsoptimist.com. And of course, remember that this and all episodes can be found simply by going directly to shmuelsoptimist.com slash eight or whatever the number of the episode is thank you for joining and listening all the way to the end to the very end of this episode and i look forward toward seeing you again next week until then let's do something and make it happen